This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Thanks for sticking with us here on The Morning Run. You're with Julian, Joyce and Sherrod. Uh, time to look at the business news now. Malaysia's third national car project will be an energy-efficient vehicle. That's according to Entrepreneur Development Minister Dato Sri Muhammad Rezwan Muhammad Yusuf. He said that the car will be launched in the second half of 2020. But not so good news. The first model will not be an electric vehicle. Right. And also, um, Malaysia has been promoting this EEV since 2014 uh, under the National Automotive uh, Policy, which uh, is expected to draw in investment. Now, last year, about 340,000 vehicles were sold in this country, and they are the EEV models, uh, which makes up about 62% of the total industry volume. Yes, so uh, Entrepreneur Development Minister Dato Sri Mohammad Rezwan Mohammad Yusuf said that the macro technical details of the yet to be named EEV car was decided by Prime Minister Tun Dr. Mahathir Mohammad during a recent National Development Council meeting. And the council will meet by end of this month to decide on two potential strategic partners who will be co developing this project. I think they have shortlisted two strategic partners, and I think they're going to look uh, now know the look and shape of the car. Yeah, so it's interesting that it's called energy efficient. It's not uh, necessarily electronic. And EEV mm. means that uh, you can use a number of fuel efficient um, uh, fuels, uh, you know, uh, tautology there, uh, including biodiesel, ethanol, hy- hydrogen and fuel cells. Um, so it's not necessarily the electric uh, vehicle that uh, the minister was talking about. I, I guess the main question is whether this will burden and the, the people of Malaysia, mm, Pro, yeah. as Proton had uh, done in the last few decades, and not only Proton, but the other the government uh, corporate initiatives, uh, for example, Malaysia Airlines, also many times bailed out by the government. Uh, and th- talking about uh, biodiesel and bioethanol, of course, uh, this the first thing that comes to mind is palm oil, right? That's Malaysia right. has a biodiesel policy, but there is this other policy that uh, primary industry minister Teresa Koch has embarked upon, and that is the Love My Palm Oil campaign. And after the launch of that campaign, a very big travel-related corporations like Malaysia Airport, Malaysia Airlines, AirAsia Group, as well as Melindo Airways have jumped on the bandwagon and supporting this campaign by advertising uh, to all their air travellers. Right, uh, that's interesting. And facts and figures of oil palm uh, planting and palm oil nutrition will be prominently broadcast uh, to their air travellers. Now, this is to be done via their digital information screen at the airport, uh, in-flight magazine, and also the ent- their entertainment system. Um, this is expected to be carried out throughout the year to address prejudices uh, and also instill greater appreciation for Malaysian palm oil. I wonder how effective this will be, though. This love my palm oil by, and now this idea is being uh, carried out with the um, co- corporates. Yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting to watch. I think uh, this message that's coming out from this love my palm oil project is going to illustrate the social economic multiplier effects. Look at health benefits and industrial applications of palm oil. I guess it boils down to education. That's what they want to and do, the and the kind of messaging, yeah, the execution as well. The biggest worry right now is uh, environmental concerns and. Uh, all these, I guess, uh, you can one can look at it as accusations or facts uh, that palm oil uh, clearance of land uh, for the business has been uh, happening at a very alarming rate, and that has got uh, ca- caused a lot of concerns in the global environmental activists. So the question is right now. Uh, 
really crudely speaking, does Malaysia have the right uh, to harm the environment for uh, the economics of the country? And that message has got to be fine-tuned very clearly uh, to see whether people accept that or not. So uh, it may actually go beyond whether uh, go beyond our emotions, right, or, mm. of, of loving and not loving the palm oil. Yeah. Now, talking talking about emotions, uh, Tun Daim Zainuddin, uh, one of the people in the Council of Eminence Persons, have uh, come out to say that actually um, the trade war between the US and China may be good for our country. Yes, so um, Malaysia in particular, the uh, the manufacturer, uh, manufacturing industry, they have benefited from this uh, trade uh, between Chi- between this trade war between China and U.S., um, where there is an incre- there has been an increase about one hundred billion U.S. dollars uh, last year, with thirty uh, percent of this coming from China alone. Yeah, hundred billion US dollars. That's a lot. I think, yep. however, Tundaim, yeah, however, Tundaim said that while Malaysia is profiting from the trade war, the country does not want the conflict between two world superpowers to continue. And he says, you know, this benefit is merely short term. At the end of the day, in the long run, I think it will be detrimental because things would be uncertain if the trade war was to continue. And it's true, you know, businesses, investors, they don't like uncertainty. What they like is certainty. Also, the fact that uh, if uh, US and China, the two biggest. Uh, economies in the world become more insular, then uh, that will claw back a lot of progress made by globalization over the last few decades. And that would certainly negatively impact Malaysia as one of uh, the uh, you know top trading nations in the world. Um, elsewhere, Tun Daim also commented on uh, the fact that Malaysia has good reason to fear the rise of China's 5G technology because of cyber, cyber and digital security threats to the country. Right. And this is echoing from other countries as well. For example, Canada, Britain, who are all, I think, uh, speaking of uh, speaking same language as Daim, and uh, this the concern is that the technology would be abused by illegitimate parties, uh, f- for an example, stealing of important information, and this would uh, probably this would directly or indirectly encroach Malaysia's digital sovereignty. Yeah, he also clarified that Malaysia had no plans to stop Chinese telco giant Huawei from operating here in Malaysia, as the government was capable of assessing cyber and digital security threats and. Uh, this includes conducting tests on digital devices, including those from Huawei, so to ensure that there's no cyber espionage threat involved. That's right. Uh, you know, this follows that arrest of the Huawei CFO, mm-hmm. which has uh, caused a very huge uh, diplomatic uh, repercussions uh, between U.S. and China, uh, and you know, uh, the, the fear that. Uh, chips are embedded into our devices uh, to just spy on us, right? Of course, the other matter is the fact that uh, Malaysia and China has had a pretty testy relationship since the general elections uh, where the new government has cancelled a lot of projects uh, that China was involved in, you know, with their checkbook diplomacy. And now these projects are under the spotlight to see whether uh, they'll be continued or not. Uh, The other news, of course, uh, is... uh, uh, M1 mobile operator in Singapore, uh, which Axiata is the single largest shareholder, a 28% shareholder. Now, the uh, speaking, you know, speaking of this, uh, they have confirmed that they would not raise their offer price 
uh, that is Capel and Singapore Press Holdings. The two Singapore entities combined hold about one third of Singapore's M1 have said that they would not raise their offer price to gain majority control of M1. Now, um, just just some background. Back in September, they said that they would offer $2.06 per share for a majority uh, of ownership uh, for M1 and what was a bid to support its uh, to support its falling share price. Now, um, however, Asiata has since said that the offer must reflect the accurate future value of M1 and the closest the closing date was extended to February 18th from uh, February 4th. Well, the latest is that you know Capital and Singapore Press Holdings they have come out to say that they do not intend to increase the offer price of the two Singaporean dollars six cents per offer for a share. And um, yeah, now it'll be interesting to watch what's going to happen from this corporate exercise, whether or not it's going to go through. And I think currently M1 has a total market value of 1.92 billion Singaporean dollars. Yeah, almost 2 billion Sing dollars. Uh, it's a very interesting situation here because uh, even though Axiata holds uh, 28% of M1 and is the largest single shareholder, but if uh, Keppel and SPH uh, gang up, you know, these two major <laughs> iconic Singaporean companies, they collectively hold about one third of the company overtaking uh, Axiata's position. And I've grilled Axiata before a couple mm-hmm. of years ago. And I think the strategy is pretty interesting of holding um, small uh, but meaningful stakes of uh, telcos around the region, which gives them a very good footprint into the em- growing, emerging uh, telco uh, markets in Southeast Asia, right? That is, is very strategic. But mm. it's kind of like uh, neither here nor that position because you, you just have that stake, which no doubt is very valuable. But uh, there isn't any executive position uh, uh, that is imposed on those uh, particular stakes. So the question was, what were they going to do about those stakes? Mm. And uh, do listen to the grill if you want uh, to uh, to find out the answer. Um, elsewhere, of course, this uh, Goldman Sachs is still in the news. Uh, they have denied that any money from 1MDB funds pass through any accounts controlled by the bank. I guess trying to um, you know backpedal from their involvement. Now, uh, yeah, so this is coming uh, from the Goldman spokesperson. Now he said that the bank had deposited all the hundred percent of net proceeds from the three uh, the three bond uh, transactions back into one MDB bank account. Now, the spokesperson also claimed that not a cent of those funds uh, has had uh, ever passed through any accounts controlled by Goldman Sachs, nor have any of those funds been subsequently moved or redirected under their authority. Yeah, I think the spokesperson was uh, said this in an email reply to the Malaysian Reserve. Also, I think the spokesperson also... Um, pointed the fingers at members of the previous Malaysian government saying that the evidence presented by the US Department of Justice alleged that it was them and not Goldman Sachs. But I still think that uh, you should be responsible for your employees, right? So uh, you're still liable um, to be actually involved in that process and uh, you, your actions still have to be scrutinized, especially when uh, a sovereign nation like Malaysia has been charged a commission rate that has been uh, very, very high, almost 10%. It's not the norm. Which is not the norm, mm. right? Uh, as a sovereign country, maybe you can get some discount uh, from the normal rates, uh, but charging 10% and robbing in the process of the country of a lot of its own proceeds. Okay, it's coming up to 9 a.m. And after the news, we will bring you reports from uh, Brusa Malaysia. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.